Everyone to their direct connect. We got Brian Carr, Brent Castaneda. How you guys doing? Excellent. Excellent. Jinx. Brent's bringing all the energy today. Got a lot of it. Got all the energy. All right. I get December energy. energy. Saw some shirts this earlier this week for some big Nick energy. So I got to bring that now for at least the next couple weeks. But I've not bought one today. Let's chat a little about tools and automation. I know even going back to our our WEC employee days, we were always big on automate, automate, automate. Probably didn't talk as much about doing it correctly or responsibly, um, but let's just jump into kind of some of the things that I think we were all preaching to the choir on this one. Let's start with the easy part. What are the benefits to using tools and automation in a compliance setting or even just in the security side? I'll start. Uh, you know, the, the, the initial, the, the, the biggest benefit that I see is consistency. You're, you're creating a process through a tool or some type of automation that generates consistent evidence and consistent uh, steps for your people to follow so that um, when it's time to produce that said evidence, you have it all in a single location because, and, and you're confident in that data. Uh, you know, you can stand behind as a compliance department, your subject matter experts can stand behind it because they've been working in a tool using automation for some, some period of time. What else, Brian? Oh, <laughs> my turn. <laughs> uh, I was deep in thought of what Brent had just shared and just how how wise it is. It, uh, you need more energy, Brent. Okay, I'm just telling you, just got We got to turn it up a notch. Drink another monster. Yeah, because or Red Bull. The blueberry ones are really good. Okay, uh, I don't think those. <laughs> I don't think those anymore. Have you had the blueberry monster or the blueberry Red Bull? Yeah, definitely. Yep, I have. Right. Just just like a sip. That's all you need. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, what Brent said. Uh, biggest thing. Honestly, outside of having a good process, just consistency is anybody, anybody can stamp and repeat, you know, whatever that is, you know, the tool can do a lot of that work for you. Um, one of the hardest things from a compliance perspective and from an auditing perspective we ran into all the time was inconsistent evidence, right? You, you see things presented in a certain way and then it changes, or you see things presented from one group and the three other groups are doing it three different ways. And so now you're looking at all of this different evidence, all of this different format, presentation of just basically the same information. That's the hard part. It's the same info presented four different ways. A, it makes things really hard to track, uh, makes things prone to error. Um, and so there's, there's huge benefits to having consistent, repeatable uh, processes. We'll talk more about process, I think, in a little bit, but really about that presentation, those outputs. Um, it, that, that's huge. That is huge. To take a lot of the human error out of it is a, is a big deal to me. And I'll, I'll add to that, you know, you think about, you mentioned inconsistency. That's the reality of the situation is what level of confidence do your auditors have when they see inconsistent data sets, right? It's the same data if we're looking at patch management data or PRC5 data, and you've got multiple processes, one for generation, one for transmission, one for control center. You're left with, a, you know, kind of confusing auditors as well as confusing your SMEs on why are we doing things a certain way in this arena where we've got solid evidence over here and a good process. So um, automation and the inclusion of tools, you know, implementing them correctly can really provide significant benefits, not only for audit prep and audit readiness, but just in your overall compliance program, when you're trying to have a level of confidence to say, we've got strong internal controls and here's why, and here's what they look like. 
I think that also tips into the, the evidence integrity piece. I know we always struggled with back when we were auditing. I remember the running joke was, uh, did you make sure the ink dried on this before you handed it to me for the evidence <laughs> request? Um, but that was one of the things that I know we always looked at was a system generated piece of evidence generally held a little bit more weight than a manual because while it could be spoofed and you could adjust some of the things in there, it's just another level of, of integrity check, I think, on there that hits that reasonable assurance a little bit easier. And that's kind of the, the moving target with compliance. What are you guys' thoughts? Yeah, I, I think you're spot on as far as it inspires a little more confidence in, in your auditors when you can present something that's, you know, quote unquote, system generated. Like you mentioned, Nick, yeah, people always want to argue about, oh, well, I could have, you know, I could have modified the PDF. I could have edited this, you know, any, yeah, any, any piece of evidence can be tampered with. No, no question about mm-hmm. it. But um, tying in with the consistency discussion with, you know, presentability of evidence that, Hey, this is not somebody and we all do it, right. There's, I think we'll talk a little more about processes and spreadsheets and stuff, but there's there's tons of entities that still manage certain parts of a process via spreadsheet because it works. Right. But you introduce a lot of human error there. So, you know, when somebody sends us a spreadsheet versus an output from some database or other system, I would much rather have the system generated, you know, from, from a consistency presentation standpoint and, and, in theory, accuracy, granted humans are still on the other end of putting that information in, but yeah, there's a lot to be said for, uh, for inspiring confidence, um, by using some, some sort of tool or, or other, you know, program to parse a lot of that data. And I think we've, we've danced around the process piece enough, but let's, let's go ahead and jump into <laughs> devil's advocate side. Why wouldn't you use a tool? I think we can lead right off with a bad process or a good tool doesn't fix a bad process. I think we've all seen that one a lot. I know that was one of the things when I was at, at Grant that there were a lot of processes that weren't well defined that then we were trying to put tools on top of. And I, I mean, God bless him. When, when Gene stepped in behind me, that was one of the first things I think he looked at and said, no, this is, we got to get our arms around these processes first. Let's take everything back to manual and do a hard reset. And for me, as, as the guy who just left, that was a hard pill to swallow, but it was absolutely the right move. I think that's something a lot of people, you, you try to start chasing the easy answer of technology without fixing the underlying, but I don't know, what have you guys seen around that or other barriers? Yeah, I totally agree. I, I think there's a lot of folks out there that just want to fix a problem. Just just give me a tool, give me a solution. I'm going to plug it in. It's a bump in the wire and it's going to solve all my issues. There's, I'm here to tell you, there is no such thing as a silver bullet when it comes to tracking compliance evidence in a meaningful way. If you're just going to bring in a tool and overlay it across your processes, it's probably going to, going to struggle, right? You're not going to have solid adoption. Uh, my recommendation as an implementer, integrator, a person who works in this field, uh, a lot of my time and effort and energy you're spending in this area is to bring in the tool, find the solution that's going to work for you, and then re- reevaluate all those processes. You mentioned Gene, just like Gene did, right? Come back and say, let's just start from what good looks like and what we want this to be, not where we are today. And let's bolt on a technology. I mean, that, that's, how, that's, how problem, that's how tools and software become shelfware is because you won't get true user adoption if you've already got established poor processes and you're trying to marry that to a, to a tool with automation that isn't going to give you the results you're looking for. No, I think instead, revamp, reevaluate, look at your process, isolate those things, identify the control points, and then have your users, your subject matter experts, come in and test this system to make sure it's going to meet their needs and objectives. Yeah, I think uh, I'll, I'll add a little bit to that on the, on the process side. Um, most commonly we run into, you know, various groups, business units, or, you know, even groups within different business units that um, do things a certain way. And, and 
the introduction of some sort of technology, whether it's you know an automated workflow or some other tracking mechanism, whatever it is, uh, there's always this. Well, that's not how we do it. That you know we're following our process, but now you're trying to introduce something new. So we can get into the user adoption side of it and how big of a stick you need to carry for something like that. But but the reality is, it's a very complicated thing to to figure out, right? It's it's a yeah, we don't do it that way. I don't like how they're doing it that way. We want to do it, you know, and so you have all of these competing kind of, I won't say priorities, but we'll say uh, competing mindsets. That's one of the biggest challenges to, to any any given process. But spot on, Brent, with and, and what Nick said before about really going back to the basics of what those processes are. I think a lot of people think that they have well-established, understood, well-followed processes, but I'd say more than three quarters of the time, there's flaws. If, if you can't flaws. produce, if you can't produce consistent results out of those processes, yeah. you don't have a good process. Yeah. And, and, and consistent processes by different people, right? That's kind of that threshold that we always talk about. The we used to call it what man on the street, and then then somebody complained about that, and so we call it man in the elevator. You know, somebody that's at least inside your organization, but maybe not. You know, in that particular. You both remember that conversation about now. Now, now it's it's moved to modify. It's modified now to uh, informed person on informed. The street. Yeah, that, that's informed, what man there the we go. supposed to be right on the street. Yeah, it, but you know, it's like we can't say bus sensitive issue anymore. Because, <laughs> uh, come back and bid us a, little it's a lottery sensitive issue now. Lottery sensitive issue. We're all positive. <laughs> Used to be bus. Yeah, that was that's too morbid. Um, but yeah, you, you have to be able to repeat that process, but also other people need to be able to come in and easily follow with, again, a basic understanding and be able to repeat the same thing as, as the very knowledgeable SME. And that's, that's the real test of, of any process. Is, hey, can you pull somebody from your organization that, again, may be informed or familiar? Can they pick this up and follow it and come out with a reasonable result that's, you know, that again, is consistent or at least appears consistent? So there's... There's a lot to it in the process side. I mean, we've we've all seen quite a few good, a lot of bad processes, a lot of undocumented stuff. You know, we call it tribal knowledge or whatever we want to call it today. People just do stuff. They do it. They're doing the right things, but it's not written down. It's not repeatable. It's not something you can, you know, implement without having that knowledge. And Nick, I'll go yeah. back to your first first part of your question. You said, when should you not automate? I think there are opportunities to to look at look internally and say, if I've got a, a simple workflow and it's you know one level of approval as an example, something really simple and easy, you may not need automation over that. You may have that covered, and you may have that tribal knowledge that Brian's talking about. You can document that in the process and say, we don't need to automate this one. But where you have a lot of touch points, tons of moving parts, um, high frequency obligations like your patch evaluation, patch implementation windows, those are huge. Um, the time, effort, and energy it takes to just maintain that with even 50 devices or 50 individuals that you're tracking and managing, it, it becomes untenable pretty darn quick. And I'd, I'll, I'll add on to that, Brent. You mentioned like high frequency events. I, I used to be of the thought, you know, if it was a low frequency event, you know, the automation wouldn't make sense. And in some cases it may not, but I've really come around to the thinking of, again, talking about people's and people and tools and, and these processes, but a low frequency event has significant risk as well. If it's something that's performed twice a year, um, you know, is there, is there a written process for that? How do they know what to follow? Because it's obviously not something you're doing constantly. It's like, you know, I was remodeling one of our homes a few years ago. I got really good at drywall because I was doing it 
all the time and finishing drywall. Now, not so much. Yeah, no, don't get any ideas. I'm not coming to help anybody. I no, no. So you know, nowadays I I I can you know do some basic patchwork, but don't ask me to you know finish a whole floor in a house. But there was a time when I did it consistently and repeatedly that I got really good at it. Um, same thing with infrequent activities. Um, automation can actually really kind of save your bacon in a lot of those cases where it's like, oh crap, I forgot how to do this because I, I last time I did it was you know ten months ago. Look, look at PRC five, right? You've got four five and six year intervals and yeah. an automation solution will allow you to build your, your, your annual work, yep. um, you know, your work, uh, work, work processes. Like here's what we have to do this year in order to maintain compliance. So you're, you're exactly right. There are the, those long leading times that would certainly still benefit because you're going to forget, <laughs> you're going to forget for a year over year. Yeah, those are always the ones that scared me when you start looking at turnover, because usually if somebody moves yeah. on, if you have questions a month, two months after the fact, you usually can get a decent answer. If it's something that's six months, they haven't touched it. Yeah. And you say, oh, by the way, what about this? And they've got to try to remember what they did in that system yeah. or yeah. or if they even pick up your pick up the phone from you at that point. Yeah, it's kind of you, you've worn out your grace period there. So if you don't have a tool or a good process documented for that, maybe back at square one trying to figure that out. Definitely. So one of the other things that jumped out to me is, again, a lesson learned the wrong way um, is the support and maintenance. So, mm -hmm. again, when I, I stepped in at Grant, we were using a lot of home-baked uh, SharePoint stuff. And the person who had built it all, well, there were two people who built it all. One of them I replaced, and the other one retired shortly after. And there just wasn't the support. I kept going back to the, the IT side saying, hey, can you help me? And they just laughed and said, no, no, no. Your predecessor said they don't want our help. So yeah. you, sorry that you're left holding the bag, but bye, walk yeah. away, put in a ticket and we'll come back to you in six months um, because there wasn't that support and maintenance agreement on the front end for that. Or honestly, for any other tools, I, our IT department was swamped and they said, nope, you got to figure out a contract for that. To which my CFO came back and went, wait, you asked for this much and now you say it's this much plus now you want to add 40, $50,000 a year of O&M to manage this tool. Yeah. Huge, Again, huge bye. Issue. Yeah, I'm back huge, next year. Huge issue. Capital with, dollars uh, easy. <laughs> o and M, not so much. <clears throat> no, it, it it's a big issue for especially for the homegrown tools, and I love. I mean, we see them all the time, right? It's there's a problem, and there's a guy in the organization or a gal that that knows the solution, and they're going to write some code and 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 fix it, and then it it mushrooms, and oh hey, can we add this to it? Can we? And then it becomes this. Yeah, to maintain that. Um, you know, and homegrown tools will work. Um, Off-the-shelf stuff. Until yeah, they maybe. don't. Or, yeah, well, there's that. Um, but off-the-shelf stuff can work as well. Um, you know, some takes more configuration than others. But that that support, you're absolutely right, is is huge. Um, you've got to have, a, whatever it is, you've got to have a plan for it. Yeah. I mean, and plan and I for it. Everyone has a plan until they get hit in the face. But you're going to get hit in the face <laughs> either way. So if you don't have a plan, it's even worse. <laughs> And, and to avoid that hit in the face, I think, you know, um, you really ought to look at, you have to look at the total cost of ownership for a solution. If you've got, whether you're doing it homegrown or you're coming off the shelf or you're, you're looking at something to, to bring in, that's kind of a middleware piece. You have to look at total cost of ownership and that doesn't stop after implementation. There are maintenance type yeah. things that have to occur, updates, patches, uh, upgrades to the system, new features, that, that you're going to want to take advantage of. And if you don't understand the total cost of ownership and what it takes to uh, run and maintain a tool, um, you're going to struggle. So yeah. 
thought, my thought there is reach out to other entities. There are people that have, have tread this wine press before, understand exactly what they, what, you know, what they've had to put in into it in order to get the results they're expecting. Um, so reach out to your, your neighboring entities and say, are you using this solution? Are you using this tool? How much time, effort, energy is it taking your folks every single day? How many FTEs are you committing to, to manage uh, and maintain this system going forward? And if the answer is more than one person, you probably ought to reevaluate and look at uh, uh, changing tools because there's a lot of um, system integrators out there that provide the support that you need. Um, and they're not full-time equivalent uh, personnel that you can use those folks in other areas in your organization and leverage outside resources who know and understand exactly your processes and more importantly, the tool that you're working with. Yeah, one of the, the questions I would say to make sure you're asking is your database support. That was one that was yeah. honestly end up being the difference maker between us trying to upgrade our legacy packs and switching completely was our legacy had been built on SQL Express and it was maxed. Mm. So at that point, it was making sure that we had the ability to, to scale in the future. And at that point, it was easier to start over yep. with a brand new system um, because that, that hadn't been considered. So as you're looking at these tools, those are the, the things that I learned from talking to our server team and our, our IT front, our help desk team to make sure I was asking vendors, what are the requirements on, on the back end? Yep. Um, and that was the one that I, I see trip people up a lot because it's a, such an afterthought because usually that's such an easy thing. But if you're already towards the top end of what you can do in your database. Be methodical and leave room to grow. Absolutely. hundred percent agree. So let's kind of take another shot at a question that I think a lot of people can relate to. Uh, you, say you've got a tool or an automated process that you've got in place and it's just not working. What do you do? Call me. <laughs> <laughs> Buy another Rinky box and plug I, it I, in. 801. 801-867-5309. That's not right, exactly. close. close. <laughs> no, I, I mean, if, if you, you know what that, that is, make sure your 401k is up to date. Yep. Nice. for Jenny. Nice. Uh, age appropriate, right? Um <laughs> No, I, I think, you know, if you have a solution that you're struggling to, you know, get traction with, um, that, that's struggling to meet the needs of the, of the organization, I would start with, let's take a, a step back and see, you know, what problem are we trying to solve? First of all, we've got to re-ask that question and evaluate. And if this, not, if this, if this solution is not um, solving that problem or it's costing us too much time, effort, and energy from a resourcing perspective, then let's make some different decisions. Let's let's simplify our lives. You know, there's a lot of tools out there that can provide some of this visibility, tracking, and management of activities. Um, but are they tra are, are they tracking the right type of metrics that you need from a compliance perspective? And most importantly, are your users having a solid experience? Are are they um, using getting in the tool, or are they complaining and, and whining about how uh, cumbersome and challenging it is to use a specific tool? So they just bypass it altogether. That's that's the challenge is now we're bypassing the solution, going rogue in, 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 in trying to do this on our own. We have asset, subject matter experts that I know uh, squirrel away their their evidence just so they have a backup copy because they don't trust. They don't have faith because they haven't seen that faith um, um, you know, present in, in, in a relevant way as they get ready for audit or someone needs something in a self-cert cycle, whatever the case may be. You, you really got to take a step back and say this isn't working for us. So let's reevaluate and figure out the solution that we need to uh, to move forward with. I, I think that that um, 
user experience is, is kind of big. I mean, one of the easy ones to pick on, you know, SAP, for example, uh, when I was at Pacific Core, we, we use SAP for lots of stuff. Um, and there were literally entire departments that managed uh, all the information that was required to be in SAP, um, you know, whether it was financial or otherwise, they managed everything in a spreadsheet. And then they had, they would get all, funnel all that to an admin who would then, you know, put it all in for them. Whereas, because you had a lot of engineers, you had a lot of folks that just did not, well, I don't know anybody who enjoys using SAP to be frank, um, but nobody wanted to, nobody wanted to play with the tool. Nobody wanted to try. Nobody wanted, you know, it was just so cumbersome and I'm sure, you know, this was quite a few years ago, maybe they've gotten better. Um, chances are maybe it hasn't, but yeah, nobody wanted to, nobody wanted to do anything in there. Just inputting basic information was a chore. So your user experience, you know, you may have great processes. You might have it nailed down and know exactly what this evidence output has to be. But if your tool is just a pain in the butt, nobody's going to want to use it. Um, so that, that is, that is a huge thing not to discount. Like there's tons of whiz bang stuff out there that on paper and the sales guys tell you, Oh, this is, this is going to solve all your problems and everything, but it's an absolute horror to actually use your, your adoption is going to be very, very low or people again are going to be running shadow processes, right? Doing everything in spreadsheet and Oh, we'll have, we'll have so-and-so, you know, manually enter that later. That's the worst. That's the worst thing you could have is, is shadow processes, shadow evidence, you name it. So you're keeping two sets of books at that point. Oh, yeah, all, yeah. That's not a good idea. Yeah. That's not a good idea. I, I think you're, you're hundred percent right on user adoption. If, if we don't have the subject matter experts that are, you know, having a solid experience, it doesn't have to be a great experience. This isn't fun, right? This is our job. These are the things <laughs> that we have to do on a daily basis. But if you're making me take 15 clicks, right. For something that should take one or two, Right. You've got a problem. you got a problem and you need to reevaluate and say, there's no reason for that. So let's either fix the tool we have. Let's put some resources into it or let's go a different direction so that we can truly uh, have a control that we can say we're confident in this control. and We love this control because it works for us. Yeah. I think whenever I'm looking at troubleshooting one of these, I come back to it's people, process and tools. And I'm going to start with the easiest one there. And that's process. Because changing people is real hard. Changing tools is hard. Changing process is relatively easy. So start with, I like to start with the easy thing because hopefully that's what it is and they can move on. Okay. But if it's not that, then go to the tool and the people. And usually it's somewhere between the two. And with the tool, it's kind of that support and maintenance. Mm -hmm. Or is it configured properly? Your point, Brent. Is that a tool issue or a people issue if it takes 15 clicks to do something? Mm -hmm. I'd say it's a tool issue. Yep. If it takes three clicks and they're complaining about it, that's a culture issue. Mm -hmm. But that's a judgment call. And it's going to be everybody's mileage is going to vary on that one. But if you look at those through the, that lens of those or those three different lenses, I think you'll find usually your tool could be fixed to make it work. Mm -hmm. uh, unless you've just got something that is completely outmoded, outdated and is no longer supported. So you seen some of that too, <laughs> where people are holding, exactly. People are holding on to something that worked great in 2006. Yep. Uh, Bonus. Kind of like maybe the college football situation right now. A lot of people hold on <laughs> to things that worked great in 1955, not so much in 23. That's right. As my school is getting hit by the portal today. So <clears throat> nice. But yeah, it's you got to make sure you're evolving. But I think if you go back to that people process tools and evaluate how you're doing on those three things, you're going to find your, your roadblocks pretty quick. Yep. Agreed. Sometimes it is that culture barrier, and that's the worst one to fix because it takes time. Um, takes time and a lot of helping people understand to get out of their own way. Kind of like the philosophical question for you both, not if a tree falls in the woods, but 
is it better to have a good tool without the full uh, tech support or end user support or just use a manual process? If you have to make that choice, because I know many of the people who are listening to this or watching this are asking themselves if they're willing to make that jump. I don't know. That's... And you can't say it depends. <laughs> Come on. That's the go-to answer. <clears throat> yeah. I don't know if I have a good answer for it, honestly. I do. They're both fraught with peril. Brent has an opinion on this. An energized opinion is what I want to hear. Wow. Energized opinion today. Um, so, sneaking Red Bull now. No, I haven't. Um, no, I, I think if you start with the tool, say we already have a tool in place and the tool isn't working. It's not working well. Well, let's look at our process and say, where can we find some efficiencies? Where can we modify the process to make this tool more effective for our users? And that starts with not just forcing it down everybody's throat, right? Here it is. Here's a Nurk burger. Enjoy. No, you want to come back and talk to those people who are using the tool to help them kind of to help you redesign that process, redevelop that process. Um, short of that, yeah, I mean, stay in, stay in spreadsheets. If, if, if you've got a tool that is shelfware at this point, you're better served just to stay in spreadsheets until you find something that's really going to work for your organization, quite honestly. That's where I am as, a, as someone who sells and works in the tool space. You'll be better served just starting from ground zero, from spreadsheets, and then bringing on a tool when it makes sense, when it's appropriate, um, when, when your SMEs um, are, are prepared for it. Because you mentioned the cultural change. If you're switching from one tool or to another, that's a cultural shift. And that takes a lot of, of time to change that culture, as you mentioned. If you're starting from ground zero, it's a little easier sell because, hey, we're trying to help you simplify your lives. But in either scenario, the objective of whoever's bringing in these tools or revamping the price processes needs to be aware of that. And, and don't just do it in a silo. You can't just build it alone. You have to have solid user acceptance testing, and that needs to trickle down to the subject matter experts who are going to be doing clicking the buttons, quite honestly. Thousand percent agree with getting that user input on the front end, because then if there's issues, they feel a sense of ownership rather than it was forced on them. Absolutely. Just from a change management perspective of culture change. And also, and the other thing I would say, when, oh, go ahead, Brian. No, I would say also in, in that user acceptance testing, we talked a little bit about that. I've been through a few, you know, as a user, gone through a few implementations over the years. <clears throat> it's important to recognize that not, you know, not every scenario is going to be contemplated through that testing. I mean, you're actually going to, you know, use this product you're using in, you know, in this test environment, like, all right, run through some scenarios and things like that. But in the real world, you be prepared that things are going to be different. And, and that's, again, part of that buy-in piece is people are going to be okay with that, right? Your users are going to be like, oh, yeah, we didn't contemplate this scenario or this situation. And they're going to be like, let's figure out how to fix it. So I think there's, yeah, there's huge huge benefit to that user acceptance testing and making sure it's involving the right stakeholders and covering the right scenarios for that. That's a, the key part of it is getting the right stakeholders, get your champions yeah. and some of your skeptics in there so they understand how to fight the, the tool and work through the problems as well. Last word on this, um, Nick, is, is uh, for me anyway, uh, we can continue talking, but last word on this, I just had a thought, you know, make sure you're working with a vendor with who has enough detailed knowledge and experience of the work that you're trying to accomplish, that they're not just not a vanilla GRC solution, right? That yeah. they just are going to put this, yeah. here's our GRC. But they have no concept of the NERC space. They have no concept of the, the, the TSA security directives, right? In the oil and gas sector. 
So you have to you know, be smart and intelligent on how you select your vendors. Make sure you're picking one that has the expertise in that area, in that realm, so that when the subject matter experts are working with those integrators, implementers, that they're speaking the same language. They're not talking past each other, right? That's what you want to avoid. And, and that will ultimately lead you, provide you the best uh, outcome from a tool implementation perspective. That's a great last yeah. word. Was it really his last word though? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's a great piece. And even if you are kind of like forced into it by your IT or someone else in your organization to use their GRC tool, understand and be able to articulate where that's going to come up short because it will. There's, there's certainly a piece that you may be forced to use that because that's the enterprise tool. And we've mm -hmm. seen that through and trying to fight that sometimes makes it harder than it needs to be because the expectations weren't established early on. Mm -hmm. um, and just understand that whether whether you're dealing with NERC or TSA or water or, or whatever the the compliance requirements might end up being, if it's not purpose built, you're going to have to do some extra legwork. Absolutely, and that comes back, I think, to does the tool fit your process? And how much you can ask, can you can ask a question about total cost of ownership at that point. Like, if we're really going to bring in this GRC, what's our total cost of ownership at the end of the day? You got to run that to ground uh, yeah. to really get yeah. the, the the apples to apples numbers. I talked again. I wasn't, I was hoping. See? <laughs> I knew it. I won the bet. Almost like we've known you for a decade or more. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's going on uh, well over a decade now. That's why we love you though. Yeah. Next time we're going to tie, we're going to tape your hands. We're going to tape your hands to your desk and we're going to see how you do. Cause if you, Brent can't use his hands, it's, it's game over. Or if you tell him about it, he turns into Ricky Bobby. I don't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> I felt like I was on a spaceship, and uh, I'm not sure what to do with my hands. Uh, it'd be good just to hold them down by okay. your side. Yeah, great. Well, we were real happy with um, with what was going on, and uh, at the end of the day, um, you know, you got to be happy. Uh, yes. <clears throat> so one more thing I throw out on the culture piece um, is the analogy that I learned in my master's program that I was able to, I've been able to put to implement a bunch of other places that. Think of culture change as rolling a snowball down the hill. Find the easy wins, brag about the easy wins, beat people over the head with the easy wins, and use those to, to get a little bit better, to keep those wins going. Um, and just think of it as a snowball rolling down the hill. Start with the easy pieces. You don't try to build a 10-foot snowball at the top of the hill. You build about a foot-sized snowball and get it going. Yeah. Start Moment small and build. Momentum is a powerful thing. And absolutely, we see it in every organization we work in. Um, you know, if you get if you get the right stuff, you've got the right tool, that momentum will uh, lead you to the right direction and in, in you're, you're moving it forward, progressing. And then you have what, what is truly a collective of internal controls at that point from a, from a tool or solution perspective, you know, because you've yeah. you've applied that same rigor across multiple disciplines. You know, NERC, I'm thinking NERC SIP, NERC O&P space, access management versus asset versus patch and change. Uh, you're exactly right. That momentum will build uh, and then you'll ultimately have better success and a, a more successful implementation. Yeah, I, I cribbed straight off of Bill Bratton, what he did at NYPD back in the 90s under Rudy, Rudy Giuliani, if you remember back that far. But that's what I did at Grant was Brady. I did the same thing. What's something we can do that's easy that makes us look like we're the guys that get stuff done. And within six months or so of us being there, our reputation was they're the guys who get stuff done. They don't ask how, they, they ask how many. And that was kind of our, our motto unofficially. And we got a lot of culture stuff changed by, by really riding momentum and understanding the, 
the value of that. And I think that applied when we moved into when I moved into the compliance space too. I was able to get more done than I probably should have um, for an interim guy with a, a year. Good point. Yep. Yeah, that's great. All right. Well, if you have any other tool questions besides how much of a tool is Nick, don't ask Brian because he will tell you. <laughs> Reach out to us. Uh, I think there's always a lot of discussion to be had on this. I know that ends up being one of our biggest topics anytime we talk to folks at a, an industry event. Usually it's about a specific tool. Again, not me. Uh, but but how to implement that. Uh, I think there's a ton of sp- opportunity in this space for everybody to get better. And I think most everybody is trying. Um, yeah. But it's, it's a challenge. There's growing pains. So don't be afraid to reach out and keep the conversation going. But for now, chat thanks for, for joining, guys. Yeah, yeah thank you. For- it's been great. Take care. Take care. Not only is Direct Connect available to listen to, you can also watch each episode on our YouTube channel. Just go to youtube.com forward slash at ArcherU. If you're interested in who we are and what we do, you can head on over to our website at archerint.com. You can also follow us on our social media platforms, Archer International on Facebook, Archer Energy Solutions LLC on LinkedIn, and at Archer SEC on Twitter. Thanks for listening and check back every other week for brand new episodes of Direct Connect.